Hello, and welcome to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter, here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Susanna Greer. Hey, Susanna. Hey, Joe. How are you? I'm all right. What a fun conversation. I was just, mm-hmm. you know, I was just thinking about how well you managed to tie these three guests together, but the three guests themselves did a great job of tying their work together. It was just great. Um, fun. Yeah, this was fun. So let me, let me quickly... Uh, introduce these three guests. They're all from the Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center in Philadelphia. Uh, you and I went out there a couple of years ago. I think you've been back a few times. What a great group of people they've got out there. Yeah. Joining us today was Dr. Andrew Applin. He's Associate Director of Basic Research in the Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center, and he's a professor in the Department of Cancer Biology. We also had Dr. Chris Snyder. He is Associate Professor in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology. And Dr. Nada Nickbacht. She is a clinician scientist. She sees patients, and she's assistant professor in the Department of Dermatology and Cutaneous Biology. So, Andrew Applin, Chris Snyder, Nada Nickbacht, and and you, Susanna, tell us all about it. <laughs> all right. So you guys know I love analogies, and I'm just going to share a quick analogy, and then we will dive in because you're going to really enjoy learning about how their research is all kind of intricately tied together and it it really shows some of the huge challenges in cancer research right now but some of the really cool advances and then where we're headed so i want you to just kind of close your mind and picture a house and so the house is really what in some ways nada studies because nada is a dermatologist and she really thinks a lot about skin cells and the cancers that form in our skin and so we're going to talk a good bit of today about melanoma not just melanoma but um we are going to talk a lot about melanoma so if we think about our house um nada wanted us to compare the house to and the rooms in the house to all the different places in the skin where tumors can form. And so the words that we would use to describe that would be like extracellular matrix and the dermis and and places like that. So we've got this house. Okay. And then we think about Chris. So Chris is an immunologist and he thinks about the immune system and kind of fundamental aspects of what is up with the immune system? So, which is something we've been thinking about decades. It's still a pretty new science, but why, quite frankly, does the immune system not recognize all cancers as being cancer and something bad that needs to be eliminated and just not a problem? Okay, but it doesn't. So, if we've got our house, which is made up of these different areas of the skin, we have immune cells that are in the skin And they're like, they're decorating the house. They're making up their beds, hanging up pictures, making it the way they want, right? Putting the silverware in the silverware drawers. We've got our immune cells in the house. Okay, and then we have Andrew. And Andrew is studying, in this case, melanoma. And melanoma, unfortunately, is like an unwanted guest who moves into the house. And so maybe this is like a bad roommate who takes over, I don't know, like your basement and won't get out. Um, or maybe the mother-in-law who won't leave. And so, so like does some things that the immune cells, you know, doesn't really know what to do anything about, maybe doesn't recognize. And so all of their research ties in together so beautifully. Oh, I'll stop but you're going to love this podcast and you're going to love these three researchers. So um, stay tuned. All right. Welcome to the podcast. I am beyond excited to have Andrew, Chris, and Nada with me who are all researchers and all members of the Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center. So welcome. We're glad to have you guys. Andrew, we're going to start with you. We have uh, some questions that we are really keen to ask each of you. So Andrew, what are you so interested in? What's the big picture problem that your research is trying to solve right now? So I run a research group that's focused on melanoma. And the the big question that we're trying to ask is why 
is melanoma um, so resistant, so hard to, to really attack? Um, why does it resist certain drugs? There, there have been a lot of advances in, in drug treatments, drug treatment options in the last decade. But many of the tumours will ultimately um, fight back against those drug treatments. And so we're trying to understand how the tumours fight back and trying to then fight back, resist against those uh, mechanisms. So we're really trying to understand therapy resistance in different subsets of melanoma. All right. Fantastic. Thank you. So, Chris, Andrew shared with us that his focus is on melanoma. And Andrew, I appreciate you reminding us that there's been lots of really good news in this space. So there's lots of drugs, but the bad news is that lots of tumors fight these drugs. And so you're asking questions about how and then how do we fight back? So, Chris, what are you interested in? What's your lab up to? So I'm an immunologist, um, um, not as particularly focused as Andrew is on a on an individual tumor. Although we've used uh, melanoma as a model to study how the immune system interacts with the tumor environment, um, so I think it's become pretty apparent over the last couple of decades that um, the immune system has a, a huge influence on tumors. And there have been some incredible uh, drugs that have been developed to release the brakes on the immune system to allow it to do its job. And those are having good effect in the clinic to um, help treat and sometimes cure patients. But there are a lot of tumors that we don't really understand why the immune system doesn't seem to recognize the tumor. And so the thing that we're working on in my lab um, in this area is to uh, try to understand if we can um, pump the gas a little bit instead of releasing the brakes and activate the immune system to work in the tumor in cases where it's not already acting um, on its own. Okay, cool. So we had an example from Andrew of really thinking about the fact that we have all these really cool advances in therapies in melanoma, but melanoma develops all kinds of ways to resist them. So he's thinking about how can we how can we push back against that? And then you are approaching it from a really different angle as an immunologist of so studying the immune system and asking some pretty basic questions of why doesn't the immune system recognize tumors in the first place? And you you remind us that there've been some about drugs, there have been some awesome advances in immunotherapy where we encourage or you said release the brakes on the immune system to, to attack cancer, but why do we even have to do that, right? What, why, why is that required? So I, ca I can't wait to hear more. All right, so Nada, help us understand, what are you doing? So I am a dermatologist, so I do see patients uh, with all types of skin cancer, from melanomas to basal cells, squamous cells, and cutaneous lymphomas. And by training, I'm an immunologist. So uh, my research goal is to focus on special properties of the skin and the so-called skin microenvironment and find out what are, these, what are some of these properties that actually promote first formation of the skin cancer and subsequently progression of the skin cancer. So we don't think it's just the cancer cell that divides and invades, uh, but truly there is something about the environment that cancer cell calls home. And so I would like to learn more about the home, the infrastructure, the other residents of this home, and find out how we can target that so we can uh, essentially eliminate the cancer cell. Oh my gosh, what a cool trio we have here, right? We have Andrew who's thinking about these melanoma cells that have set up shot. We're throwing all these different therapies on them and the melanoma cells are, are unfortunately really smart and they're figuring out ways to evade and avoid these therapies. And here comes Andrew and his team thinking about ways to fight back. And then we have Chris who's like, well, why do we even need these therapies? Why isn't the immune system recognizing melanoma and other cancers in the first place 
And then we have Nada who's like, yeah, well, I'm a dermatologist. I know a ton about the skin and the environment where melanoma and other tumors of the skin set up shop. And it's, it's a lot more guys than just the tumor cells. There's this incredible environment and there is something about the skin itself and this property of the skin, which researchers call this micro environment that has a lot to do with, with maybe promoting cancer growth. So this is going to be a super fun podcast. So, all right. So tell us, Andrew, help us understand what, what's a recent advance that has helped you understand more about how um, melanomas fight against um, these therapies and maybe how we fight back? I think there have been tremendous advances in the last decade in melanoma. Um, one clear um, metric of that is that there have been 14 FDA um, drug approvals for late stage melanoma. These have ranged from drugs that target uh, pathways that are activated by genetic alterations to some of the um, immune checkpoint antibodies that, that Chris mentioned. What the recent advances are now are how to mix and match these types of, of drugs to gain maximum benefit and further improve the overall survival of melanoma patients. And so the advances are really thinking about how um, how to, to how best to, to, to mix these drugs, um, how to sequence them, um, and which subsets of, of patients respond best um, to these combination therapies. And so I think that's where the real advances have come in, have been from just analyzing um, patient samples and, and um, experiments in the lab and combining those two to really figure out which patients are likely to respond to which therapies. And Andrew, if I could ask a question, I, when you mentioned how to sequence them, I think what you were referring to is is what you just said, which is crucially important, and that is that all patients don't respond to all therapies. So you really have to understand what's happening in a single patient's tumor to understand which drug or which combinations of drugs might work for that patient. Is that is that correct? Absolutely. I think there are two aspects. One is to understand the genetic basis of a particular patient's tumor. And that might inform or that does inform on which um, treatment options are likely to work. And secondly, in terms of um, sequencing drugs, what I mean by that is the order in which you, you apply a ah, drug. Okay. Yeah. And it can be that um, you're applying a, a, a targeted therapy first may be more effective or applying an immune checkpoint first may be more effective. Ah, brilliant. You're right. We we throw around the word sequence so much in science and you're, you're exactly right. It can have two very different meanings. So thank you for clarifying and both points are spot on. All right. Fantastic. So Chris, Andrew laid out some pretty big advances that have happened in melanoma. I mean, 14 FDA drug approvals. So help us understand um, what have you learned about the immune system and why why doesn't the immune system respond in the first place to all tumors all the time, right? I mean, if it did, none of us, well, none of the four of us would be sitting here, right? Because none of us would have cancers. Uh, right. I, I think um, we've learned an enormous amount. Uh, when I was a, um, a graduate student, I think it was really hotly debated whether the immune system had really any role in defending against cancers. And, and in just uh, in the last couple of decades, it's been um, really obvious that the immune system does. The question you ask, um, I think, is also the great advance that's been happening in our field is that we've come to appreciate the um, breadth of kinds of interaction that the immune system can have. So, uh, I think one of the first things that was realized is that there are tumors like mel like some melanomas 
that are pretty well recognized by the immune system. And the reason that the tumor is growing is because it's exploiting immune suppressive mechanisms that are blocking the immune system. And then the drugs that we've developed are, are blocking the blockers. So taking the breaks off the immune system. And, and those have been effective for some patients that have those kinds of cancers. I think the, the really interesting thing that has developed as we've been studying these is that there's a large number of patients who for whom those drugs don't work and it's because either there are other suppressive mechanisms or because the immune system is not engaged in the same way in those and and that's really something that i think is an emerging area of research is to try to understand the heterogeneity of how the immune system interacts with the tumor environment and different tumors and different individuals that may have the same diagnosis um, and so I, I think that's been the big advance is to realize the breadth of diversity uh, uh, within individual tumors. And I, I love your your description there that it, and you use the word heter, heterogeneity. And just to clarify for our audience, I think you followed that up with the word diversity. And I think it can have two meanings, right? It can be the diversity in, in people, right? You're going to all... All of us have very different immune systems, right? We we can take a look just at the pandemic that we are experiencing right now, that we all have very different responses to COVID. Um, and we all have, as as a result of that, very different responses to to cancers. And then the flip side of that is that our there's also a diversity in the actual tumor cells that are growing within a tumor. Is that is that what you mean by heterogeneity? Yes, I, I think there's a diversity within the tumor cells. There's a diversity in the environment that Nada was talking about earlier in the residence of the house. Um, and I think there's a recent appreciation of a diversity of the immune cells that are in the tumor as well. So that we sort of have characterized them in the past by individual um, um, patterns or, or uh, molecules that the, that the immune cell may express. And I think we're realizing now that those were um, insufficient and that uh, we need a much greater depth of understanding of the breadth of diversity of the immune compartment within the tumor. Yeah, brilliant. All right, Nada, well, help us understand. So you've you shared with us that specifically thinking about cancers of the skin, that the skin turns out to be crucially important. And Chris just reminded us that there's all kinds of things happening in the skin. There are, of course, skin cells there, there are blood cells and nerve cells and there are immune cells. So help us to understand what's an advance that we've learned about the environment that tumors of the skin are growing in that's really been significant in recent years. Most of it actually has been most of the work in of the, the again the skin microenvironment has been done on these resident immune cells, and that's uh, where we had these uh, really uh, amazing drugs that came out in terms of immunotherapy um, to to um, produce great responses in cancers such as melanoma. Uh, but overall, in terms of what is really the, you know, the major advances that happened in the field, I want to echo both Andrew and Chris um, and also give, you know, offer my perspective as a physician. Um, you know, in terms of what Andrew said about really understanding the cancer cell better and recognizing it and finding a treatment that targets that cancer cell um, or if you think about it, maybe individualized medicine. So we've come a long way from chemotherapy, where we as doctors, we gave just these toxic drugs to kill every dividing cells with lots of side effects. And now we're able to offer what we call targeted therapy, where we in recognize what's different about a cancer cell and we then try to target that cell. So now I have so many, um, I have a repertoire, I have so many options of different things that I can use for cancer with lower side effects and much better results. And I can give you an example, for example, monoclonal antibodies that we use now as targeted therapies for cutaneous lymphomas. Now, and I want to echo Chris's, and again, talking about 
advances in immunotherapy, I mean, the results we have seen with, uh, with immunotherapy in melanoma, it's just extraordinary. Um, you know, targeting those immune cells to go, to go ahead and fight cancer. So I think um, we live you know, in a time that just uh, these advances um, have been just coming and we're, we're moving to, a more, to an era of individualized medicine where we can even fine tune them better. All right, thank you, Nita. So I, I'm just excited to hear from each of you now that you've laid out the big challenges in what you do, which is related, but, but quite individual. And I think it's helping our audience to see how it takes a village, a, a large village, certainly three of you are crucial components, but an enormous village to approach cancer. Um, and then you've each laid out advances that have happened where Andrew shared these, you know, FDA drug approvals, and we can only think about the hundreds of thousands of clinicians and researchers and patients who worked really hard to push those forward. And then Chris reminded us of our new understanding that it, that is only decades old that the immune system has and actually helping to defend us against cancer, cancer, but that that's, it's really pretty complicated and quite different in different people. Um, and that, you know, our maybe previous characterization of the role of different immune cells has been, um, I would say maybe fairly naive. And then Nada just helping to illuminate, it, just how significant these advances have been in the lives of patients and has have resulted in, in really incredible new options with reduced side effects for patients um, and some truly extraordinary advances for, for targeted therapies. So help us to understand, um, thinking about the big picture now, what is the picture that each of you wake up and think about and are so excited each day. I would love Andrew to know what's what's the goal of your research. Thanks, Susanna. Um, I've outlined the recent FDA approvals and the fact that these uh, drugs have improved the overall survival for melanoma patients, but there's still lots of room for improvement. So the goal of my research group is to provide the preclinical basis, the scientific basis for new treatment options for across different subsets of melanoma patients. We're interested in how the genetic alterations within melanoma lead to aberrant growth of tumors and how those tumors alter their surroundings so that they gain an advantage. And we're interested in how the drugs um, attack melanomas, but then how the melanomas react, how they can tolerate those drugs, how they adapt to tolerate those drugs. And in some cases, how they simply are just um, non-responsive. They will simply blow through a drug and keep on growing regardless. So we're interested in those types of, of questions um, with the ultimate goal of, of new treatments that are improved um, and more efficacious. So it, it sounds like, Andrew, to clarify for our audience, you're always trying to stay one step ahead of the melanoma, right? Because even though we have these truly fantastic new drugs, that melanomas are, are always adapting and evolving. And so I, I liked the way that you poised it, that you not only think about the effect of the drug, but what the melanoma does in, in response. I mean, you said, how, how does the melanoma react so that you can think about, well, what can we do next? Is that a fair assessment? Exactly. If um, somebody um, does something to you, you inevitably react back. That's what a, a melanoma cell will do. If you throw a, um, a targeted therapy, such as Neda just mentioned, at a melanoma cell, some of the melanoma cells will die but some of the cells will react in a way that they can tolerate that drug and ultimately survive on the drug. And um, that's a, an adaptation. So would you classify yourself as a, we throw this word around, but as a basic scientist? 
Yes. Okay, I think it, it helps our listeners to understand then the value of basic science because without what you're doing, we, we may not be able to understand or react to melanoma's next move. Is that reasonable? Exactly. I would strongly advocate for basic science understanding in tumor biology, the understanding of specific gene mutations that have formed the basis for personalized medicine, the understanding of the interactions between tumor cells and immune cells and how tumor cells um, can um, become non-responsive to immune cells. That has um, those understandings have come from fundamental basic science and have formed the basis of uh, clinical strategies that have some of which have panned out and now are FDA approved drugs. Thank you, Andrew. So, so Chris, help us to take the next step. You, you reminded us that the immune system, first of all, is super complicated. <laughs> And that sometimes we've had some incredible successes where we've realized that cancer cells have been really sneaky and have been successful because they've told the immune system, look, immune system, this, this melanoma is not a problem. There's nothing to see here. You just don't, don't worry about this. Go worry about that flu or whatever. And the melanoma keeps growing. So by telling the immune system yeah, immune system, this really is a problem. You need to go deal with the melanoma. We've been able to create some really beautiful targeted therapies. But unfortunately, that doesn't work in all people all the time. And there are lots of reasons for that. Um, so help us to understand maybe the word you use was heterogeneity. And then we further define that as diversity. Help us to maybe understand what exactly are you working on to, to help us further understand immune responses or lack thereof to tumors? Yeah, um, so I um, I also think this is a, an important point for basic science as well. I, my research is primarily uh, has been about immune responses to viruses actually. And I got into cancer immunology because we started trying to see if we could develop a different type of a vaccine based on a different virus. Um, and what we sort of accidentally discovered in the, along the way was that the viruses may be able to modulate the tumor environment in a way that attracts the immune system in um, as a new, uh, to, to, to alert it that this, this tissue may be um, uh, something that the immune system should be aware of. And I think um, this is not a new idea. Um, this is something that lots of people have been working on is how to convince the immune system to recognize and respond to the tumor. And so um, what we're uh, working on now is to try to learn what we can about how the immune system reacts to viruses in different environments, including a tumor environment, and to try to take away the specific molecules that may alert the immune system to the presence of something dangerous that it should deal with, even if uh, it hasn't yet dealt with that um, uh, that tumor at all. And so, um, yeah. So, so my research is uh, is designed to to try to to find those mechanisms so that they could be targeted in a way that will eventually um, to lead to new therapies that could be used to engage the immune system where it wasn't previously engaged. Oh, I love that. I. I love the idea of thinking about tumors and viruses and bacteria and yeast and fungi all in the same category of things that are not great, right? You just kind of label them as dangerous. And if you could help the immune system or if you could understand, it sounds like what you're looking at are patterns. Like if you could understand the patterns that the immune system is recognizing, maybe you could make a a thing, a drug with that pattern and help educate the immune system in advance that this this specific thing is not great and we need you to get rid of this. Is that reasonable? Uh, yeah, and I think there are a lot of people looking at those kinds of patterns to try to figure out how to activate the immune system. Um, and I, I think this is where the diversity of the immune system and our knowledge of it comes into play because a lot of these patterns have very general res responses that they're patterns that that many viruses or many bacteria may express and therefore 
um, the immune system makes a really general response to them. And that may not be what's needed in the different tumor environments. You may need to get very selective and specific immune um, cells and immune reactions going in a tumor in order to have efficacy in that tumor. And so I, I think there's a lot of work to be done to try to understand exactly which immune cells work and which patterns work to activate those immune cells um, and which molecules need to be targeted in which immune cells in order to uh, to have a, an efficacious uh, response in the tumor. Yeah, it, it's a great point. And it, and it ties back to both what Andrew and Nada were reminding us of is that these these targeted therapies are so important because they, well, Nader reminded us they they reduce side effects. And one of the reasons that they reduce side effects is because they're so specific. And Andrew reminded us that the the sequence that they're given in is critical and, and figuring that out is important and all comes back to this incredibly specific basic science of understanding which cells are recognizing what and do we and how are they recognizing a specific pattern of danger and how might we activate that but not activate something that we don't want to so we have so much to learn and I love the fact that you reminded us earlier in the podcast that we haven't understood much about the immune system for very long. Decades in science is just not a long time. So it's a it's a really solid reminder for us to patience is hard when it comes to being patient um, when it comes to disease in general, but cancer especially. Um, but it is a good reminder that immunology is 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 still a new field. All right, Nada, I'm going to leave it to you to tie it all together and just bring us home. So help us understand. What, your colleagues have laid out some really beautiful basic science and you reminded us that you see patients. So help us to understand a little about your research and what, what you're excited about right now. You know, so I'm glad you mentioned patients because, uh, you know, a big part of our work is, uh, is coming from our patients. And, um, you know, I want to thank them. And they've been, they're amazing and enthusiastic. They donate tissue and the tissue and that they donate to our work and our research. Um, it's really a tremendous part uh, of the work that uh, we do as basic scientists and as uh, so-called translational scientists, where we take the information we get from those patients and then we bring it back to the clinic. Um, so we uh, we work with our patients closely. We get, uh, we get their samples and then we bring them to the lab. So now what we do in the lab, um, I'm, I'm going to go back to the home, that house analogy or the home in the skin. And so what the, the areas that we look at is first that sort of the skeleton and the infrastructure of the house, what we call the extracellular matrix and mesh work that kind of keeps everything together. And then we're talking about the residents, all the cells, the immune cells, other types of cells, supportive cells that are in that environment. And what I'm interested in is to look into how they work together, how they interact, and how these interactions affect cancer cells and vice versa. You know, as Andrew mentioned, is cancer cells modify their home too. They start to redecorate and do different things to their infrastructure. So we want to know First of all, how the residents and the house interact in the cancer microenvironment and how the cancer interacts with these cells. And the patient samples are crucial to understand this. And we have other means to study the, uh, these pathways in the lab. But again, um, uh, working with these samples and then in terms of bringing it back to the patients, when we do, you know, we talked about sequencing, right? So we, we do quite a lot of sequencing of the samples we get from our patients. And uh, what our goal is, is try to kind of get all of this data. And, you know, in this day and age, we can, we just get tremendous amount of information from these samples. Um, and then the, our job is to find out how they correlate with, let's say, the response to treatment. So um, that's a big part of our work to really try to make sense of all the information we get from the, this type of samples that our patients uh, donate and offer to us. I, I mean, it, it's a beautiful analogy that you shared, Nada, of 
the how all of the work that you do ties in together that kind of reversing the order that I've spoken to each of you in, but but Chris is studying if if we have a house and Chris is studying kind of who lives there, who's shutting setting up shop there. He's studying these cells, these immune cells, and how they each contribute and kind of, you know, decorate the house and and hang up pictures and make up their beds. And then we have Andrew, who's studying a different population of cells that unfortunately moves in and is going to reorganize. And these are going to be tumor cells. And then Nada is studying what they're moving into, which is the actual home and how how do these cells impact and interact with um, the home? And in this case, it's the the structures, the extracellular matrix. So I think it's just phenomenal how you've tied together for our audience, how all of this work is so intricately related to each other and also how exquisitely complicated. So thank you for drawing this beautiful picture. Um, all of you can draw it better. So is there anything you would like to add to that? I, I agree with Neda. It's, it's critically important to think not just about the tumor, but the cells that are around it and how there is um, communication between the tumor cells and the cells in what's termed the microenvironment, the surroundings. I would also second that notion. I, I think it's become abundantly clear that the environment determines the outcome in many ways. And so um, to extend the analogy a little further, the different rooms of the house may all be very different. And so you're going to need to uh, to figure out um, if you're trying to combat these, these unwanted guests that it may be different to kick them out of the kitchen and the basement. You have different uh, methods you're gonna need. Nice. So I, just to turn the corner a little bit, because I think it's it's very interesting for our listeners to understand how you all work together. I mean, Chris, you just mentioned that the environment can determine the outcome, and you were all talking about cells, but I think it's true for humans as well. And I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast that you all work at the Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center. And I I would love to know how the environment that you work in has contributed to your ability to participate in what we think about as the research pipeline. So to move research from, um, we call it, you could think about bench to bedside or along this pipeline from basic to um, translational to the more clinical work. Um, so maybe I'll start with you, Andrew, and then I'd love for Chris and you, Nada, to chime in. So Nada, Chris, and I are all members of the Sydney Kimmel Cancer Centre at Jefferson. This is an NCI-designated cancer centre. What that means is that it's federally reviewed every five years and that it plays a really critical role in linking basic science with clinical research and also population science. For the catchment area of our cancer centre, so where our patients come from, but also nationwide. And the way that we organise the cancer centre is that we group investigators together into what's termed programmes, but they're essentially groups of investigators that are thematically linked so that they can talk to each other and look for collaborative links. Um, this, these investigators are from different disciplines and it really enables um, investigators to promote their studies into clinical trials, take what's known about um, patient issues within the local communities and bring those back into the cancer centre and start to ask research questions about them. So it's really the structure of the cancer centre that I think facilitates this bench to bedside and also back again um, uh, pipeline. Uh, to give you an example of uh, a specific example of that, I've talked to you about um, genetic alterations in, in cutaneous melanoma, how you can attack those um, 
uh, tumour cells with those genetic alterations, but how um, the tumour cells adapt. And so we've studied this, um, one of those adaptations in the laboratory setting, and then translated that through a, a clinical trial with a medical oncologist, Melissa Wilson, um, to a new clinical trial um, that's tr uh, treating cutaneous melanoma patients. So it's these types of efforts that the Cancer Center facilitates. I could chime in as well as a um, sort of a mid-career basic scientist here. You know, I think the, the what Andrew talked about sort of at the ground level, uh, what is really nice about the Jefferson environment and the Kimmel Cancer Center here is that there, there really is an effort to promote inter-lab work um, that allows somebody like me, who I, I, I have been picking up cancer immunology as a, uh, an area of investigation over the last uh, eight or 10 years, um, to, to really work with others who have been um, really heavily invested in this field for a long time. And it and allows, I think, us to go in new directions that would be, frankly, almost impossible for me to do on my own. Um, without those the support of other researchers and clinicians here who um, who are just always willing to to help to have a meeting to discuss what's going on and to to propose ideas and and I think the structure at the cancer center supports that explicitly that that people work together to try to develop new projects and and I, I've been very grateful for that. I I think you know this. Um... The, the environment at the Cancer Center really promotes collaborations. Um, and that that is truly the key because no one can um, solve anything in isolation. And today we really need to work as groups, groups of uh, uh, scientists who work on different disciplines and uh, paired up with clinicians. Um, so um, that's definitely one aspect. And I also want to comment as a junior, you know, the training and the support that you get uh, from the mentors. So I am I'm very proud to say I actually trained with uh, Andrew and that's where I learned uh, or studied, you know, the study of, uh, of the response of the uh, you know, immune system to melanoma. And uh, I also, you know, worked with Chris. We collaborated. We, you know, we had some, you know, submitted some grants together. So collaboration truly is the key. And I think that's uh, what's happening in the environment in the cancer center. Jefferson. Well, thank each of you. I think it's it's not obvious to our listeners that scientists wouldn't all have these opportunities, but I think for our listeners, if you think about how difficult it is to maybe get your neighbors together to collaborate on planting a garden, right? It's just collaboration isn't always easy, and it's not always easy to start something brand new, and so I really um commend the efforts of your cancer center to not to not only encourage um, interdisciplinary research, but to set up these thematic programs and to really support young investigators. Um, you're, you're, you're all obviously being very successful. So I, I want to shout from the rooftops that each of you um, has been funded by the American Cancer Society because we are all we are incredibly proud of you. Um, so you may each chime in if you'd like, but Nada, I'll start with you and say, is there a way that ACS funding has impacted your career or your area of cancer research? We would, of course, love to know. Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, I think it was instrumental. Um, this um, this particular grant again was at, um, a continuation of uh, my mentored work uh, with Andrew, looking into the response of the immune system to melanoma, and and I think you know a grant like this for a junior investigator is really a way for them to to be able to essentially start and and grow. Um, you know the funding environment is quite tough. Um, uh, for the scientists and so sort of we'd have the National Institute of Health, um, but uh, mainly, you know, we want to be a little bit more established in the field to get there. There are some mentored grants, but particularly for juniors, um, uh, I think, you know, the type of funding that American Cancer Society offers really uh, helps them uh, get established. 
I would absolutely echo what Nada just said. Um, um, I, um, the funding that I got from the American Cancer Society provided a little stability for us to really explore um, how, in, in our case, a virus was able to modify a tumor environment. And it, and it was able that having uh, funding like that um, allowed us to, um, I mean, it allowed me to support a couple of people to do the work in the lab and to, um, to come with some new findings that we were then able to generate, uh, I, I mean, get, uh, to get additional funding to continue to pursue the project to try to see where this will go and learn new mechanisms. So uh, it was absolutely vital for us to, to really come into this field for somebody that is coming from another area um, we had generated some preliminary data and the American Cancer Society um, uh, um, funded us to, to go forward with that. And, and I, was, um, I was very grateful for it. And it was, it was huge for me as a, as a junior investigator at the time to be able to say, OK, well, this is going to be an area that, that I will work on now, that I will really have opportunity to make some, um, some uh, progress in. I, I too am very grateful to the American Cancer Society and all the donors to the American Cancer Society. When I was uh, a, a junior investigator, I received a research scholars grant from ACS. And I feel that that was pivotal in my career. It enabled me to take a high risk, high reward project at the time that targeted inhibitors were just um, being uh, tested in cutaneous melanoma. And so we could think about how a tumor, how a melanoma might adapt to these um, and really try and be ahead of the curve to predict what would be the mechanisms that melanomas would resist targeted therapies. So it was highly impactful for my research group and my career. Well, words like all of those are just, uh, they're absolutely music to our ears. Opportunity, grateful, pivotal, impactful, new findings. I mean, we are, we are, we are so incredibly excited about each of you and what you're doing and just um, want to know how impressed we are with each of you. So thank you for all your work. I think, um, Chris, I'll ask the last question to you. What you guys have shared so much with us today, but I think it'd be really fun for our listeners to know what are you most excited about right now? Um, so research wise, I think this is going to maybe I'm looking for a silver lining in the current pandemic, but I think the the vaccine technology that's being used right now to vaccinate people against COVID with these lipid nanoparticles that are delivering RNA into people's bodies, I think combined with our the advances in ability to sequence individual cancers and and define exactly what's going on in somebody's tumor um, relatively easily, I think that the the lipid nanoparticles and the fact that we have a lot of data about them now, this may be a really exciting delivery platform to start trying to modulate the tumor environment um, in ways that we really couldn't before because we didn't have a good way to get those genetic materials uh, to encode proteins or, or molecules that we wanted into somebody's tumor where they could do the job that we want them to do. So I, I'm really excited to see where that goes. I have a suspicion that a lot of people are, are actively working on that um, uh, project right now. Absolutely. I think it's um, all we can do is try to find a silver lining and not only in the technology, you're right, of the vaccine, but in our thinking about science and scientists and um, elevating the importance of science in our daily lives. So each of you, you play a pivotal role for all of us. So um, we'll let you get back to work. But before before I do, I'd like to ask um, all of you if you have a message you'd like to share with our listeners who are cancer patients and um, who are survivors and caregivers. So Andrew, I'll start with you. So I'd like to say First of all, thank you for all the patients, caregivers. Um, it's um, you really uh, drive us to understand um, fundamentals about melanoma biology, um, provide the basis for new clinical trials, and um, really push forward. Uh, I think 
my message to you would be to support and trust basic science, um, uh, support fully the American Cancer Society, the ACS says mission, um, and um, uh, maintain your uh, screening and treatments even through these these difficult times. Well, it's hard to really uh, say thank you anymore. I mean, I think that uh, Andrew said it perfectly. Uh, I think we're all really grateful of um, the um, enthusiasm that the patients uh, have for basic research, um, the willingness to donate tissue samples, to donate money, to donate time. Um, and, uh, and I agree as well that um, it's sometimes hard when you're supporting basic science to see how that will turn out. It, it is a, it, there is a risk reward um, uh, uh, problem that, that you have to, uh, to come to terms with. Um, but I think the evidence, as Andrew said earlier in this uh, podcast, that so many drugs are coming on the market in the recent years because basic science was supported through organizations like ACS. Um, that allowed those pivotal discoveries from that were unexpected at the time and have now changed the way that patients are being treated. So I think we're all really grateful and uh, thankful for everybody's enthusiasm and engagement in this process. So I wanted to tell um, cancer patients whom I see every day uh, that uh, we recognize uh, the hardship. Uh, what you're going through, it's not easy. I can see that as uh, as a physician who's treating them. It's just, you know, you're always looking at the horizon. Um, you're going through, um, through this hard course, and it's not easy to see the end. Um, but uh, we try to work with you. Uh, and even though it's very slow, you know, as Chris said, it's slow and hard to kind of see that progress, but it's happening. And we as uh, physicians and as scientists uh, working collectively with you, our patients, uh, to really try to get to a point where we're not just easing your pain and delaying the progression of your cancer, but we're curing it. Uh, and hopefully we get to that point one day. Well, Andrew, Chris, Nita, you were an absolutely a, just a delight. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us and best of luck. Um, we're grateful to have you as partners with the American Cancer Society and with cancer patients and their caregivers and families. So take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.